Good morning. It is so great to see you here today. My name is Kelly Thomas and I serve in women's ministries and maturing adults. And my name is Hannah and I serve on our student life team. Kelly, as we get closer to the end of summer, what is some of the things that you're looking forward to most this fall? Okay, good question, because I have to take a few minutes and grieve the loss of summer yes, first. as we all do. But when I do, I really do look forward to the colors and the trees, mm. and it, it's just so beautiful. It mm. makes me so happy. Also, I do look forward to football season. You're a sports person. I am. I am not. I am, I am. <laughs> and I think that all those Bear fans out there are going to agree with me. This is going to be a much better year. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but Bears, best of luck to you. As long as I have a pumpkin spice latte in my hand, I'll watch anything, so. Well, maybe somebody could bring you one on a Sunday morning. Almond milk, pumpkin spice latte, iced, if you see me. <laughs> well, another thing that I look forward to, Hannah, is the fact that our groups all start up fresh and, and with a great start in the fall. And I get the pleasure of leading our Place for You Bible studies, which is one of our wonderful women's Bible studies. Mm -hmm. But there are so many groups. In their groups, we get to see that people come together, they get to learn together, they get to support one another, and build some really lasting and deep relationships. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful. I mean, groups are all about finding a place to belong. So whether you're nervous to try a group for the first time or you're excited to jump back in and resume a group that you've already been a part of, there is a place for you here. And so you can sort and filter all of our groups at wheatonbible.org groups, or you can even just head out into the atrium and speak to one of our team members or pick up a catalog for more information. Yeah, and to prepare for all the transformation that's gonna take place in, in our lives this fall, I wanna invite you to a prayer night on August 29th at 6 p.m. We're gonna spend time thanking God for all that he's been doing in our lives and pray for our ministries and our leaders and our amazing volunteers as we enter into our next ministry season. Yeah, our leaders and our volunteers are ministry partners here. I've seen so many students be transformed through our volunteer leaders. And at our Tri-Village campus, Bill Curley is as essential as anyone else to preparing for our Sunday services. So take a listen to this. Hi, I'm Bill Curley. I'm head of operations for Tri-Village Church, which is a campus of Wheaton Bible. Being head of operations, I get to minister to people that I don't know. I'm, I, I look out for people on Sunday that I might not recognize that might be, about, um, might be uh, visiting. Um, so that gives me a chance to ask where they came from, how they found the church, and what, what their faith walk is, if, if, if any. I don't consider it just operations. It's uh, it's a chance to really um, get involved and into somebody's life, and just just by a caring hello and you know who are you and welcome to welcome to our church. I got involved in service one because Jesus calls me to serve. Uh, so first and foremost is I'm obedient to what He asked me to do. Um, it's also a pleasure doing it, I get to see people that I don't get to talk to on a Sunday morning um, when we have worship, if there's not time before or after, but I'm there very early, so I get to get some good fellowship time with um, the tech team and my pastor and others that are uh, volunteers on a Sunday morning. Everybody has a smile, everybody has a handshake. Um, just greeting, opening up a door for somebody you could just sit there and smile and just say good morning and welcome. Uh, you know, it's not that hard and you never know just that friendly smile or a pet on the back. Somebody might need that 
you know, that morning as they're walking in. And I've found that um, when you're open and honest, you find out uh, you're not alone, that we're all walking this life uh, together and we all have the same struggles. And, uh, you know, that's why we come to church. We don't come on Sunday mornings to play church. You know, we come to try to be real with each other. And, um, and that's always encouraging. So when I think about serving, I always think about when Jesus washed the apostles' feet as they were looking, going, why would you want to serve me, you know, of, of all the things, and, and wash my feet? And I thought that was very powerful that, you know, the Lord would show that kind of um, service and how he says this is what it means to serve. You don't have to do it for me. I want to do it for you. And that's what serving is. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to worship this morning. Would you stand with us? Hear this call to worship from Psalm 105. It says, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Church, let's rejoice together this morning for what our God has done. We praise his name together.
church, and that is our prayer this morning, that God would have his way in this place, that he would have his way in our lives and in our hearts. And so we sing this out, knowing that he will change things. Well, come on, church, this is our song.
come, we pray, Holy Spirit, and work in us. Have your way. Come and open our eyes to the beauty of Jesus, the one of whom we say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor, glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. We sing. We've come to join the song sung long before our lives to raise our voice along heaven and earth alike we've seen your faithful hand your mercy Praises to the King. High. 
know that every single one of you, and those worshiping with us online, every single one of you is a walking miracle. Did you know that the only reason why we are here is because our God is a God of miracles? Did you know that the reason why we worship today is because He chose you, He called you, He saved you, He remained, uh, he, he, uh, he redeemed you, and He has you here. It is because our God is a God that works miracles that we get to say that He is our God. Aren't you grateful for that? Give Him glory. Give Him glory. One of the things that I've been saying for a while now is that the Lord rejoices when we worship Him, but it's something that we all need. Like we need to remember that we walk in miracles. We need to remember that He is the God of miracles. We need to remember that He is the God of history and the one that sustains history. We need to remember that He's a Redeemer and a Savior and a friend. And He's closer than a friend. We need to remember all of that. We also need to remember... That just as much as we need to worship, we need to learn how to be generous people. And that we ought to continue to be generous people. That's why we want to thank you for those of you that continue to support the church financially. But we want to invite the rest of the congregation to join that group to see what the Lord does with your money and through your giving. I also want to invite you to be part of a small group, some sort of group, you won't make it by yourself. You know that, right? You need to be surrounded by other people, and I want to invite you to serve. How many of you guys have spiritual gifts? Please raise your hand. How many of you guys don't have any spiritual gifts? So we can pray for you really quick. What you have is not yours. The Lord gave it to you. Amen? And what you have is for His church and His glory. Use it. Please serve somewhere. You can serve here. You can serve in the traditional service. If you want to get more spicy, you could go to the Spanish-speaking service. <laughs> if you want to be in a different country, you could serve at TBC. Just serve. Put your gift in for the glory of God. Use your gifts for the glory of God and the well-being of others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we get to gather as a church today. We are so grateful that you chose us, you called us, you gave us the gift of repentance, you allowed us to see, you allowed us to believe. You have given us gifts, you have given us the spirit, you have given us a new identity. You've given us a different purpose. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we get to worship you today. I am so grateful, Lord, that we get to hear that background music. Please forgive whoever that was. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of sense of humor. And that we speak to you as our Father personal father Lord I know that not everything is roses and not everything is happiness all the time in a Christian life but we have reasons why we rejoice today it's because in the midst of everything that we are going through 
in the midst of pain and the struggle, in the midst of tears or joy or happiness, we, we always know that the only reason why we exist here today is because you are a God of miracles. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up a scripture this morning, you speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that the worship time that we just had may not be just the only time during the week in which we worship, but that we worship 24-7 in everything we do. Please, Lord, speak to us this morning. Bring peace to our hearts. Redeem our minds. Change our affections and influence our will. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus that the church says. You may take a seat. All right. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And whether you are here or worshiping with us online, always, always we want you to know that we are here to love you and we are here to serve you. So please let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Now, today I get the privilege to start a two-week series that we have called Reemerge. Um, and let me explain why is it that we're doing this two-week series. So number one, uh, you know that Pastor Rob started his last preaching series last week. So he's off for two weeks, and then he's going to come back and finish the last three. Uh, but today, during this break, um, as a preaching pastor, we thought that it would be a good idea for us to think a little bit about everything that we have been going through as, a, as humanity, and why is it that we are still here? Why is it that we all went underwater, per se, and why is it that the Lord is allowing us to reemerge, right? Uh, so every single one of us have suffered in different ways during this pandemic, right? But we all have in common the same thing. We all suffer somehow, and the Lord is bringing us up, and that's why we're here. We are re-emerging. So when I was thinking about this, this is how this came to me. It was like, what would I say to my grandchildren 20 years from now? What is it that I'm going to share with them about what I learned, the one thing I learned during this season? So I picture myself, you know, 20 years from now, sitting most likely in my reading corner, uh, you know, long hair with a bald spot right up here, gray hair with muscles, floppy muscles all over the place. But I see myself for some reason with four grandchildren, two for each daughter. I mean, it, it could be more, that's fine, but at least four. And that I tell them, I, I want to share with you what I learned 20 years ago. As we as humanity went through this crazy pandemic and how we saw the grace of God in action. I want to share with them 20 years from now what it means to experience in the midst of a pandemic the person, the presence, the power, and the promises of God. Now, when we were thinking about this, um, our minds automatically went to the story of Noah, even though it's two different stories, right? And it, we don't have everything in common, but there's a lot in common in a sense of Noah also experienced this global catastrophe. Noah also got through, go, he had to go underwater, if you will, and God also delivered him and he reemerged. So what I want us to do for the next two weeks is actually to dig into Noah's story. Now, how many of you guys are familiar with the story of Noah? 
All right, maybe I shouldn't preach it then. Uh, or maybe you could leave everything you know, turn it off for a second, and let's see if the Lord can teach you something else that you probably didn't see before. So we're going to be doing for two weeks. We're going to be reading, uh, seeing sections of Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. This week, today, I'm going to go check some sections of chapters 6, 7, and 8. Next week, when you come back, amen? amen. We're going to see Genesis chapter 9, a section of Genesis chapter 9. For the reading of the scripture, though, we are going to be reading from Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, all the way to verse 14. Genesis chapter 6 from verses 5 through 14. Can you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you're still with me, can you please say, I'm still here. here. Beautiful. Genesis chapter 6. The Lord says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is the word of the Lord. Let me, let me pray again. Lord, we know that We are transformed by the presence and power of the Spirit using your word. May the Spirit open up our minds, allow us to understand, help us understand, help us believe, and help us respond. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. I think that we can ask the text three very important questions. I think that we can ask the text, why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you guys have ever asked that question? Raise your hand. Question number two, how does a good God respond to bad things? And question number three, how should we respond to bad things in light of our good God? Why do bad things happen to good people? How does a good God respond to bad things? And how should we respond to bad things in light of our good God? Let's go with the point number one. Why bad things happen to, quote-unquote, 
good people. Now, if you have been part of the church for a while, even if you are a seeker, right, I think that you probably already heard the biblical concept that says that we are not that good. You most likely heard the verse in Romans that says that no one is righteous. This is what some theologians call sinful nature or total depravity. And what that means is not that you are the worst person in the world. Like, I guarantee you that there's someone that is more evil than what you are. It's actually not hard to find. Just look around. (laughs) It doesn't mean either that you are not capable of good things. It doesn't mean that you cannot do good things. What it means, though, when we say that there are no good people is that everything we do because of our sinful nature is tainted by sin. Even the best things we do are tainted by sin. One of the examples that I've used in the past here over the years is even when I'm preaching for the glory of God, even when I'm trying to be faithful to the text, even when I, want the, I have the best intentions for you, I want your joy, and I want people to come to saving knowledge of Jesus, and this is why I do what I do, there is a part of me in my heart that wants to take the glory. My heart is um, depraved by nature in such a way that when with one hand I go, Glory to God, and with the other hand, I'm saying, please look at me. Everything we do is tainted by sin. So in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything beautiful and perfect, and there's perfect communion and perfect harmony within these three relationships. Perfect harmony between God and human beings, perfect harmony between human beings, and perfect harmony between human beings and creation. In Genesis 3, we see that sin enters the world. And because the first relationship got damaged between us and God, everything else gets damaged. That because the first relationship with our creator gets damaged, then our relationship with one another gets damaged, and our relationship with creation gets damaged. So when you keep on reading the book of Genesis, you see how sin gradually is taking over the world. Because sin is not outside of us, sin is inside of us. This is why when we get to Genesis chapter 6, we read this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only, only evil all the time. So the three key words right there are wickedness, inclination, and heart. Interesting that the word wickedness can can be translated as depraved. It says that human beings became depraved. That's where theologians get the total depravity thing from. But it's interesting because it says that every inclination of the heart, meaning that all of our thoughts got corrupted, all of our reasoning got corrupted, even all of our motives got corrupted. Every inclination of the heart. And the reason why they issues the word heart is because if the heart is wicked and the heart uh, has all these evil inclinations, then everything else we do is affected by that. 
Because it is from our heart that everything else that we do come. This is why our will is affected. That's why our brain is affected. That's why our motives are, are, is affected, because all comes from the heart. It is because of that, then, that God says in verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So you can see a connection between Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the world, and Genesis chapter 6, when the flood is about to come. This is what is interesting, though. That it's so easy to miss what, uh, what God is explaining there. And it's so easy to miss when you read the entire story that this description of the human heart is pre-flood and after the flood. You would think that we learned the lesson, right? So we struggle, we go through the flood, and then at the end, ooh, we're holy again. But that's not what the Bible shows. Actually, when you go to chapter 8, um, this is what the Lord says in verse 21. Never again I will curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Now, listen up. Every time I read that verse, I automatically think of all the parents that are becoming parents for the first time. That is such a beautiful picture to see. Right? Because you get the parents and you see this with this baby, and they're like, oh my goodness, this baby is like my little angel. And everything inside of me says, what kind of angel are you talking about? <laughs> That's a thing that only a first-time parent would say. Just wait a couple of days to see the kind of angel you got. <laughs> Just wait how this little angel is growing and becomes more egocentric and selfish. Just think about how this baby is not going to be in the middle of the night thinking, oh, maybe my parents should sleep. <laughs> you see how gradually this baby is showing what he already has. I know that's depressing, but that's every single one of us. This reminds me of what David said in Psalm 51:5 when he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Notice that he says that sin is not something we learn. Sin is part of our fallen nature. I did not teach my daughters to be selfish at 3 o'clock in the morning. I did not teach my daughters how to be egocentric when they were days old. That's not something we learn. That's part of our nature. Sin is not something that you catch like a sickness. This is what it means to live in this broken world as broken people. Now, I hope you're following my reasoning here, but you, the question remains. Why is it that bad things happen to, quote-unquote, good people? And just in case you're not making the connection yet, I want to show you what the Lord told Noah so we get it. Chapter 6, verse 13, it says, So God said to Noah, 
I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Can you see it? The flood was not God's idea. It's what sin brought into this world. The pandemic is not God's idea. It's what our sin brought into this world. This is exactly the, the very thing that God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And the Lord says to Adam, because you, because you ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So when we think about everything that we have been going through, when you think about the things that we're going to go through, when you think about the pain and the struggle and the people that passed away and the people that are sick, don't put that one on God. That's not a reflection of his character. The reason why we are going through the things we are going through is because our sin has done it. This is the reason why Paul in Romans chapter 8 says this, that the whole creation has been groaning until we are fully redeemed because our relationship with God got busted, because our relationship with God was damaged. Not only our relationship with one another was damaged, but our relationship with this physical world was damaged uh, as well. Church, if there's something I can give you to learn so you don't learn how to deal with this, is this. This pandemic, just as the flood, was not part of God's original design. What we are going through and what we're going to go through in the future, anything that is painful, anything that is violent, anything that hurts and destroys people was not part of God's original design. You know why? Because dying is unnatural. So I struggle when atheist people try to make it seem like if dying is normal. Oh, you're just going to die. It's not normal. This was not part of God's original design. To get sick is not normal. This was not part of God's original design. Suffering and chaos and problems and pain and divorce and problems with kids, this was not part of God's original design. Everything awful we go through is the effect of our sin, of us insisting in living a life, says Romans chapter 1, a life without God. It is God allowing what we always wanted. A life without him. This is the reason why when you read Noah and you pay close attention, you realize that not once Noah said, why God? I have made that question, you know. Not once Noah goes to the Lord and says, this is not fair. Not once. Because Noah understood that everything that is painful and does not bring harmony and that is that it destroys our life here 
was not God's original design. You know why you need that? Because I'm sure that there's people in this room or worshiping with us online in which if you have forgotten this, you become a skeptic. And you allow cynicism. And there's a possibility that you become bitter. Because we divorced what we're going through from our personal sin and the sin of humanity. And we divorce what we're going through from the character, knowing that this is not a reflection of the character of God. Isn't that depressing? Like all of you are saying, why did I come to church today? But that is a question that you need to answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we are not that good. I am not that good. You are not that good. My parents were not that good. My parents' parents were not that good. My first parent, Adam, was not that good. So imagine that I finish the service here today. This will be extremely depressing. What is going to change the tone, though, is when we ask the question, how does a good God respond to bad things? How does our good God respond to bad things? I, what I want to do with point number two is I want to invite you to put yourself in the story of Noah. Because if you see yourself as Noah, then you will quickly see that the, that the way the Lord was dealing with Noah is the same way the Lord has been dealing with you. Church, listen up. If you put yourself in the shoes of Noah, you would see that the way the Lord was dealing with Noah is exactly the same way the Lord has been dealing with you for a year and a half more than that. Actually, your entire life. Now, what I find amazing and beautiful about this story is that he's going to show us, the first thing that shows us about God when he sees the violence in the world, the wickedness in the world, the evil inclinations of the world, when he sees all of this, the first thing the Bible shows us about him in the story of Noah is that God grieves. Can you say with me, grief? Look at what chapter 6, verse 6 says. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The word regretted there is actually a very important word. Because the Bible is not saying that God looked at, at the sin of the world and sinners in the world and said, Oh my goodness, what did I do? The word regretted there means that because God is a God of love, and because God is a God of love, he's also a God of holiness. When he looks at what happens to sin and what sin does, he feels it. And not only he feels, we're going to put it this way, anger, but he also feels pain. Did you notice the second part of that verse? He was deeply troubled. I, I, I don't know how to put that together in my head, you know? Because God is sovereign, God knows it all. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. There's nothing that catches God by surprise, and yet, he hurts with my sin, 
and he hurts because of my sin. He hurts. See, the, the picture that the Bible paints about this God is that this is not a God that looks at our misery and our struggle and says, you're getting what you deserve. That's not the picture we find in the Bible. It tells you, it shows you a suffering God. It shows you the picture of a God that is not indifferent to your pain and that is not indifferent to your struggle. It's not indifferent when people pass away and that is not indifferent when people get sick. God suffers when we suffer. It paints the picture of this God that is so close to us that feels what we feel. If you're a parent, you understand that. If you have been in love, you understand that. If you have a meaningful relationship, a close friend, you understand that. When you are so committed to a person and you are so close to a person, when that person struggles, you struggle with them. This is the, the picture of a God that is so and so personal that everything that we do and everything we go through affects them. This is the picture of a suffering God. Look at how this scholar puts it. He says, here we see God's vulnerability. Here is the pain of creative love. Here is the wounded spirit of the artist whose work is rejected, the broken heart of the lover whose love is not returned. God makes himself vulnerable. God empties, empties himself in love. God himself enters the world of brokenness and pain. Genesis 6 points us to the suffering God. Church, do you know why you're here today? Because our God has been suffering with us. Do you know why we actually made it this far? Because our God is a personal God. God has always, God will always be so personal, so close to his people that he cannot be indifferent. Don't ever dare to say to God, you don't understand me. Don't ever, ever say to God, you are not for me. If you have lost people during this pandemic, God has been weeping with you and for you. If you're going through really rough things, God has been weeping with you and for you. If you have lost your job or anything like that, God has been weeping with you and for you. Every step of the way. You know how we reemerge? When we remember that our God grieves. Really does grieve. Not only he does that, but we also reemerge when we understand that in the midst of everything, he always extends grace. This is pre-fall, people, pre-flood. Chapter 6, verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. You know, you have no idea how many times I've heard people saying, 
that the reason why the Lord chose Noah and his family and saved Noah and his family was because he was righteous, meaning that he had good relationship with people. He was blameless, meaning that he had good relationship with God, and that he walked faithfully with God, meaning that he walked in communion with God. It is tempting to see and believe that the reason why Noah was saved was because of who he was and what he did. But I want to remind you that there's not one verse in the Bible, in the story of Noah, that says that Noah was without sin. Actually, we know that that is true. Because the verse before says that it was the Lord, the one that extended grace. The word favor there is the word grace. Do you know why God saved Noah? Because he wanted to save him. Do you know why God chose Noah? Because he wanted to choose him. Do you know why you are here? Because of grace alone. It's not something you did. It couldn't be your looks. It couldn't be your charisma. It couldn't be how amazing you are. Grace alone. Grace alone. You know that when we fight each other? How many of you guys like to fight? Only two. For real? <laughs> Did you know that every time we fight, it's because we forget that up until this point, it's all grace. When I feel superior to you because of my life, or my holiness, of my ideas, or my beliefs, or my political alliances, whatever it is, it's because I think that I'm superior to you. I love the way this scholar puts it, J.R. Motier, he says, that grace found Noah. Not that Noah found grace. See, the way we reemerge is the same way that Noah was reemerging. By understanding that the Lord grieves, by understanding that everything we go through, God continues to extend grace. And number three, which in my opinion might be one of the most important points that you've got to hear today, is that God commits. So this is chapter 6, verse 18 says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And chapter 8, verse 1 says, After the flood, God remembered Noah. This is so crucial to our beliefs. When the Bible says that God remembered Noah, it's not talking about God in the midst of this flood, trying to hold things together, and then he says, oh my goodness, where is Noah? I hope you know that that's what's happening. The word remember, that he remembered Noah, is making a connection between what happened after the flood with the commitment that the Lord made to Noah before the flood. You know how crazy it is that the Lord tells you, listen, because of this evil, all of these things are going to happen. And all these people, if they don't repent, they will die. And by the way, everything is going to get so ugly that you're going to be in this boat, who knows for how long, 150 days. But don't worry, Noah. I got you. That's my word. I got you. 
I make a covenant with you. The word covenant in the Old Testament, every time, the word covenant in the Old Testament is God making a one-way commitment to his people. It's not ever God saying, listen, if you do your part, I'll do my part. If you build the ark really nice, don't worry, I'll save you. If you swim fast, don't worry, I'm going to rescue you. It's always, it is God saying, you belong to me, I belong to you, I am bound to you even before you get into the flood. I will not let you go, even if you're drowning. You know, I was thinking about this, and this is one of those concepts in which you need to have in your head an image to truly understand what this means. So you know that there's, um, well, there's different parts of the world that they're going uh, uh, through hurricanes and things like that, and every time I see a palm tree in the middle of a storm, I always, but most of the time I remember that that's what covenant relationship with God looks like. Let me paint it to you. How many of you guys know what a palm palm tree is? All right, still here in this world. A palm tree in the middle of the storm shakes like crazy. You guys ever seen that? It is boom, left and right, left and right, left and right. That's the Christian life, people. Oh, 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 oh. That is the Christian. Whoever told you that the Christian life is like, they they have not read the Bible yet. This is what's interesting about the palm tree, though, is that the palm tree is being shaken, right? Left and right, left and right. But they always stay in the ground. They bent literally all the way to the ground, but they stay in the ground. This is what is crazy, though is that what keeps the palm tree there is that has hundreds of roots holding the tree. It's not that the palm tree is holding to the ground, it's that the roots are holding the tree. Watch here. Covenant in the Bible means that you are the palm and that you will do this. And that you are not holding on to God. But that God is holding on to you. And that's exactly what God tells Noah. You will go through the garbage you're going to go through. You will go through the pain and the struggle. You will feel what it means to be in, in this closed place for days and days and days. You will doubt me in the middle of the storm. You will think that there is no hope. You will weep and sacrifice and die to yourself time and time again. You will go through this, but don't worry. I will get a hold of you. I will not let you go. Part of the reason why we are worshiping here today is because God has not let us go. It's not because we are super Christians that have believed in him. It's because the Lord has been holding on to us. This is what Tim Keller says. The great basis of the Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakable his heart is set on us. Do you believe that? That's how you reemerge. Because it's not up to you. 
It's all up to him. Doesn't that give you a heart of gratitude? Doesn't that humble the lights out of you? Doesn't that paint the picture of an even more beautiful God? Question number three. How should we then respond to bad things in light of our good God? And Noah, once again, is going to teach us that the way we reemerge is by imitating the faith he exercised. You know, Noah is described in Hebrews 11 like one of the examples of what it means to live by faith, radical faith. So, for example, Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his people. And it's so interesting because in this sentence alone, we can see what real, genuine Christian faith looks like. And that it has three elements. Faith is understanding. Faith is conviction. And faith is commitment. Faith is not feelings. Faith is understanding. Faith is conviction. And faith is commitment. Let me walk you through that really quick. Did you know that part of the reason why Noah gets into the boat, into the ark, and the reason why he builds the ark in the first place is because he first understood. Our faith is a thinking faith. It's not an emotional faith, even though I get emotional. It's not about just a supernatural experience, even though there's supernatural experiences in our faith. But faith is first thinking faith. This is what Noah knew before the flood. He knew that the reason why he was going to go through all of that is because of the sinful nature of this world before the flood. He also knew that God was a God of grace. He knew it with his heart, but he also knew it with his mind. He also knew that God is a God of a covenant. He had made a promise right up here. He has not seen anything or done anything. He knew it up here. He knew that God, God's heart was set on him regardless if Noah's heart will not be set on him. Noah knew this. And when he knows this, he steps, he builds the ark and he steps into the ark before he sees anything else. You know what Noah saw? The person of God, the promises of God, the power of God, the character of God, even before he started building the ark. Church, I want to challenge you a little bit, okay? Because we have more evidences of God's grace, God's covenant, and God grieving than what Noah had. You know how I know that? Because we have Jesus. You know how we know that God is a God of covenant? Because God sent Jesus to establish the new covenant. You know how God grieves? Because we have Jesus grieving and weeping because of our sin and the consequences of our sin. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. It was because of that. Have you ever thought about how God is not indifferent? You know how I know that God is not indifferent? Because he comes into our world in human form, in Jesus Christ, to hang around with a bunch of grieving people. 
You know how I know that God is a God of grace? Because Jesus lived the life that we have not lived and died the death that we all deserve, so we don't have to die. You know how I know that God is a God that is committed and his, his heart is set on us? Because he didn't give us the flood we deserved. Jesus took the flood, the wrath we deserved. You know how I know that God will never walk away from us? Because Jesus says that he's going to be with us until the end of the world. This is what Noah did. He believed in his head and he became a conviction. We believe in our heads until it becomes a conviction. Not an emotion, not a feeling, a conviction. From head to heart to hands. Did you know that four times in the story of Noah we see that Noah, this is what it says, Noah did everything as God had commanded him. And yet, he had not seen anything at all. Did you know that our faith is obedient faith? Our faith is a thinking faith, understanding. Our faith is not emotional, it's convictions. And our faith is obedience. Listen up, church. You will not see what the Lord could do Unless you commit first. Unless you obey first. In whatever the Lord tells you that you're supposed to believe and do. That's why I'm sure that what is going to keep us moving forward is not all everything that we're doing, but the God we have. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's believe together. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we recognize, Lord, that through the, throughout this year and the year and a half, uh, we have gone through so many different things, and there has been so many different questions in our, hurt, in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, but when we look at the Bible and when we look at the story of Noah, we are being reminded that in every single circumstance, you have been grieving with us. You have been extending grace. And you have been committed to us. And that's the reason why we're here. And I pray, Lord, that we may believe that even more as we move forward. That we continue to be people of faith or we start to be people of faith. That we believe with our, he- with our heads. That we believe with convictions. And that we believe with obedience. I don't know, Lord, how long we're going to continue to struggle with the things we're struggling with. But this I know. That even if the flood takes 150 days or more, All these three things would always be with us. Please help us remember and live in light of that. And we all say, Church, let's stand together and sing. Pray with me. Lord God of wonder, God of grace, we acknowledge you are here and you have spoken to us. So we submit to you, King of Kings, work in us.
there is a king seated among us and let every heart receive him now and where there is praise he will inhabit there will be grace and mercy all around every burden will be lifted in his presence every trophy will be laid down at his feet there is a name that reigns above all others jesus christ the king Unto the Lamb, honor and glory, worthy is He who overcame, buried in shame, but risen in power, and He is alive, and the stone is rolled away. Jesus Christ, the King above. 
A king that commits and never walks away. So as you leave this place, as you go through these doors, remember that you are not going alone. And he will see you through. Here or in heaven. Amen. I want to also to remind you that every week we love to pray for you. So if you have needs, please let us know. We love, 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 love to pray for you. And then we want to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. Our covenant Savior says this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, we love you. Thanks for coming. Church, you are sent.